0: Welcome to the Property Funder podcast. With me, Michael Dean, and uh, I'm. You can block me, or mute me on social media. I'm at property underscore funder across main uh, across the main social channels. Um, I'm here today with Ashley. Um, before we, b- before Ashley introduces himself, um, just a bit of housekeeping for everyone. Um, first of all, if you are a returning. Uh, visitors to the podcast, thank you very much. Um, If I can please ask you a favour to do a five-star review, um, to like, to subscribe uh, depending on where you get the podcast from, it it means that more people will be able to see and enjoy inspiring and uh, educational content from people like Ashley who we've got here with us today. Um, Now next bit of housekeeping is Uh, We need to thank today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is Avermore Capital. Uh, Avermore Capital is a development and bridging lender based in London, but lending all over England and Wales on projects from £250,000 to £15 million. Um, And if you want to get in touch with them, uh, they are www.avermorecapital.com or you can get in touch with me directly. um, Generally, LinkedIn is the best. Uh, as I am one of the co-founders of the business, although I'm not operationally involved anymore. Anyway, without further ado, let's introduce Ashley. Ashley, please uh, tell us uh, your full name and your business and what your business does.
1: Yeah. Hi, I'm Ashley Olson. I'm uh, Chief Executive and Co-Founder of Magnet Capital. Um, We're a leading provider of development finance, so mainly new builds and conversion projects. Um, usually smaller projects, ranging between one to twelve units, um, and we've been established since twenty eighteen.
0: That's great. And that that business, how did you how did you get into uh how, how did you get into Magnet Capital? What was the um, what was the what was the what, what, what were the steps that you had to take to get there? I mean, do you want to start maybe kind of? from teenage years and how you got into the the lending industry more generally?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, my story kind of goes right back to leaving uni. So I'm, I suppose I'm a bit unusual in the fact that, well, to put it another way, I suppose no one has ever left university clutching their degree and thinking, I can't wait to get my teeth into short-term property finance. And I just don't think it, it ever works out like that, whatever route you take to into the industry. Um, I uh, left uni with two good degrees I had a master's degree in international business i uh lived and worked in china for a, some time could speak mandarin to a good level um and i suppose i just did the, the done thing is when you, you you leave uni and you kind of start blindly applying for kind of graduate roles and uh i suppose i had different levels of success and uh some kind of quite disheartening feedback along the way as well and you get a little bit you know, disillusioned with the whole process of you know going to uni doing well and then you know just having very little clue about what you wanted to do in terms of next steps in life um and it came about in a in a kind of unusual way in the fact that i was you know as i said i was applying for different graduate roles and you know i was going on like weekends away and and with quite you know well-known businesses and thinking you know, I'm probably going to get very, very lost in a big system here. And, I, you know, from from kind of, you know, gauging what what these roles and, you know, actually involved, you could see that you're just going to be a small cog in a in a very, very big system. And probably going to be the best part of, you know, five, ten years before you're involved in any sort of decision-making process. And, you know, being the person that I am, you know, you you need to be making a difference. I think from day one, that's you know the main driver for me, the fact that. I wanted to come into a place and actually you know start you know making my mark and putting my name on something um so uh, really unusually my uh, my mum came to me and said i've, I've seen a role advertising in a newspaper and you know just asterisks i think i must be one of the last people of a generation to actually end up with a successful career around the back of a, a newspaper job advert but and this was 2012 at the time um so you know it wasn't wasn't really what you did but she said, you know, I think it's a great role. It's a local business um, and I'm going to I'm going to send in an application on your behalf. And I think this is probably more fueled by her being sick of me, you know, being around at home every day. Um, so I said, yeah, fine. OK, well, anyway, I went in, went in for a job interview um, for uh, a, pro- a local property group um, that had a space open in their lending division, which was obviously known as, Reg- as Regents Mead at the time um, and through a couple of interview processes and, you know, got the role and I suppose, actually probably at the time I took quite a low starting salary. Um, which the way I saw it was, you know, from looking at the the business, I was gonna be surrounded immediately by multiple individuals with decades of, you know, hard real estate experience behind them. And, you know, even by way of osmosis, just being there was I just saw it as being invaluable and ultimately gonna pay dividends, which it did, in fairness. Um That was that was a hard call because I wasn't really sure which way I wanted to go at that time. But um, you know, it it turned out to be one of the best moves I ever made. So I joined the business. I was the first new graduate for several decades. Um, So it was it been some time since they had gone through that process. So I think they were kind of feeling out. You know, what what role are we creating here? I ended up performing a a dual function across the lending business. um, You know, both in sales and operations. Um, But I also had you know an involvement in um, in the actual property side of things so you know even I remember three weeks into my, my job I got bought in there was a property issue uh within the property business and uh involving an advertising hoarding and I went in to speak to you know the chairman the guy in the 70s along with you know a couple of other directors all you know, you know in their 40s 50s all you know decades of, of, of being in real estate and uh, they sat down and said well actually what do you think of this problem and you know i am sat there you know three weeks into the job saying well I can't believe you're actually interested in my opinion, let alone you know the fact that I'm sitting here in a meeting with you. Um, so, I suppose you know, in some respects, I was very lucky in the fact that I found myself immediately in that environment because that is just an ideal environment for anyone that wants to grow. Okay, firstly, your opinions being listened to, and secondly, you're actually doing things that matter. And <clears throat> over the years, it uh, uh, regents me, you know, obviously progressed through the business. Had you know, some levels of fortune in the fact people, some senior people above me left for varying reasons. But um, you know, I think in life, you know, you make your own luck anyway. So the fact that I was, I was there, I was taking on opportunities. I was, you know, regularly doing stuff like public speaking, contributing to industry press, getting my name out there a lot more, and hopefully developing a a, a good reputation for myself personally as well as for the company um the i think i suppose it went well because the regis me started hiring other graduates and there were three other graduates that followed me a couple of whom who are you know really you know done really well in this industry have gone on to some you know very senior positions themselves so um great springboard great learning curve um <clears throat> i had uh there was a transition in the business in i think around 2016 where i was essentially you know given a couple of other i was offered approach with a couple of roles but I was also offered the role of running Regent's Mead at the tender age of 27, um, being you know stepping up and essentially managing a multi-million-pound business, which was in many respects daunting. But just my attitude of you know just say yes and worry worry about the you know the, the issues afterwards. Um, you know went through that process again, stayed on another year, um, and that's where I met my current business partner Sam Howard, uh, who was helping me with running the business, and I think after some time the the owner of the business it was owned you know by a principal um sole director essentially who uh who was a philanthropist and i think what well, he realized that he wanted to focus more on his charity work he ran a medical research charity that was doing some incredible things in that in that sector and uh you know with his blessing i think you know me and sam approached him and said look you know we want to grow and be more dynamic and you know take something a bit you know where it's going to be for ourselves a bit more and you know with his blessing we were able to you know start putting the the works in motion to, to to launch magnet capital um started speaking to funding partners we started you know discussing what a team would look like where it'd be based and um then you know the next steps was was quite easy the fact that we were given we weren't having a standing start as a lender which most lenders experience we were able to refinance most of the the regents meet or some of the regents me book so we already had a loan book established. We already had names, people knew who you we were. We had a, met an incredible funding partner who's still with us today, who have been extremely supportive over the years. Um and yeah, and I suppose everything fell into place quite nicely from from there onwards.
0: Right. Well, let's just unpick some of that. Um because it's um Yeah, it's quite remarkable, really. I mean that what size of loan book were when you took over as I suppose the managing director CEO of Regents Mead what what sort of loan book size were you were you looking after at that at that time
1: so yeah we were I mean we were writing new business just under 40 million uh, of new business so the year prior so we were able to hold that consistently Um, that was in 2016 where I think you know you'd experience some quite aggressive activity and not just a bridging space but uh, in, development as well, yeah. in development as well. I think there was so much liquidity as it still is today, but it was it was, you know, we're seeing uh, serious downward pressure on pricing. Um, and yeah, I think that led to, to you know, the, the first stages of Magna Capital, the fact that we probably with the current structure, albeit it was a structure and a model that had survived the 08 crash that had existed for several decades, probably didn't have, you know, the same level of freedom that, that we needed to to really kick on and, and grow so it was in some respects the funding we had in place was was slightly restrictive
0: notwithstanding that though i mean the, the fact that, that at 27 years old you know you were you were hand not hand-picked but you know you were you were given you were trusted with the responsibility of running a business you know running managing 40 million pounds a year of, of new new lending business in the development finance sector um and obviously speaks speaks very highly of, of of you as a you as a character and you must have must have given you an enormous amount of um must have given you an enormous amount of confidence um i, I actually want to go a little bit further back and um just maybe out of curiosity but um how did you end up learning uh, you know spending time in china and, and learning mandarin was that something you always had a was that something you always had a uh a um an interest in a passion for um how, how did how did it come about and i suppose the follow-up question is um how, how how you were taking how do you take advantage of of those connections and skills from that time uh in business today
1: yeah um i first went to china when i was 10 uh, or 11 i actually did like a school exchange trip and a three-week tour of china um can't remember the reason why i think it was i was just interested in in you know it was a culture that still hadn't you know that was would have been 2001 it was a culture that probably hadn't you know opened up properly at that point it was still you know quite quite alien to a lot of people and I was just very interested in it and it was it was a real eye opener um but you know I did things like I spent a few days living with a, a Chinese family by myself and I remember you know I left them to go on this this big train ride across China and they must have you know I don't know asked their friends or looked in a book what do, what do English people like so they they packed me off with a sack full of beers at the age of 11 uh, for this train ride across china and i was thinking okay this is interesting um so yeah i, I guess i've always had a, a you know an interest um and then when i came to do my degree uh i went to the university of nottingham and they had a, a campus out in, in china so as part of my undergrad i spent time there um, i wanted to do a degree where you, you got to study abroad and then i went back full-time to do my master's degree um and you just you know it's serious uh, education in terms of life lessons you know how to survive in a foreign country how to you know learn their rules we even you know started exporting crap back basically back home um you know stuff like kitchen scales and any, anything you get your hands on just selling rubbish and you know it would break and it was awful but again a great a great experience and you know an attempt at being you know entrepreneurial in a very very you know difficult environment where they have completely um you know different ways of doing business and you have to you have to learn quickly um so i just you know that those, those are the experiences that help shape you ultimately and i think you know it's uh the sense of just wanting to try new things and the sense of you know wanting to you know have new experiences um and and you know do all of that before actually you know formally launching a career so i, I was very lucky in that respect that i got to have a lot of that and it's probably a big part of who i am today
0: yeah well it's uh i mean it's an un, an unusual and uh an, an unusual experience that you would have had at the same time it's now left you with a, a a very valuable skill um i mean i i know at the moment the the real estate and real estate finance space in china is uh is a bit uh is things a bit interesting following the collapse of evergrande but notwithstanding that you're still talking about what the second biggest economy in the world there's a huge amount of liquidity a lot of money there's a lot of Chinese interest in UK real estate um no doubt you're you know no no, no doubt there will be a time if if not now that those those experiences maybe the connections and the certainly the language and the understanding of the culture will serve you incredibly well so um yeah I I I, I like the uh, I, I very much like the uh, the uh, the anecdote and the analogy and uh, w- w- let's see let's see how that plays out for you. Um, I I want to touch on the um, what you were saying what you're saying about how you were uh, brought in or brought into the conversation about the uh ab- about the issue of the advertising hoarding three weeks into the three weeks into the role. Um. As someone who's been doing a lot of reading uh, around leadership, uh, we've been doing. I'm doing a bit of work with um, Jonathan Bowman Perks, who's um, who's been a guest on the podcast as well. Um, he um, he he actually introduced me to um, he, a couple of books. Uh, one of them, which was uh, "Turn the Ship Around" by L. David Marquet, and what they talk about there is a culture of uh, not leader follower, but leader leader. And the first thing I wrote first thing I wrote down when I heard. That particular anecdote, anecdote was very much leader leader, i.e., they're asking you to provide input. You know, socialising the, the decision making, socialising, getting ideas in. Um, I think something that um, people, you know, in, uh, finance leaders like Ray Dalio do well. Um, from a from a leadership style, first of all, how great was that to be on? How how great was that to be on the receiving end of? As you say, it was great for you to be in, to be able to grow. But as a, you know, but from a cultural perspective, is that something that was consistently prevalent through your time at Regents Mead? And is that something then you now try to bring to leadership uh, within Magna Capital as well?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there was so so much trust, you know, instilled in me at that point. So then it was like, you know, that's such a key part of it. And you're like, "Um, these guys really believe in me. So why shouldn't I believe in me? And you just get an element of that um so you know another example i was quite early on i was asked to do uh because my boss wasn't available i was asked to do like public speaking at a private members club in mayfair and i would never done public speaking before i said yes to it and you know i was probably quite nervous doing it but i i did it and then i got started getting invited back for quite a lot of public speaking gigs so i was like okay you know i'm starting to enjoy this a little bit um but the fact that yeah at at quite a, a young age for example i was um i was invited to do the the henry stewart conference um, every year which is you know it's a pretty serious conference they got some you know great players from across the the property industry um and i remember going I was going up there i was thinking well, about people paying 500 pounds individually to be here or as businesses to be here to listen to what i've got to say and i was you know 24 25 at the time um annoyingly i got i kept getting asked back every year um but they kept putting me on after this guy from cbre and he was such an accomplished speaker he was like you know most people did their talk from like behind a lectern this guy used to prowl the stage like a cat, you know, kind of gesturing with this newspaper in his hand. And every year I'd come on, i straight after him. I'm thinking, great. Um, but every time I used to watch him and think, I want to be as good as this guy, because this guy is absolute mustard, as what he's doing. Um, and, you know, and that in itself is just a, an example of, yeah, I think when you give someone, you know, trust and maybe probably was on the inexperienced side, but, you know, you know, they find a way to, if they're the right individual they find a way to cope with it um i think one it's one of the really interesting lessons i was taught very early on by by the owner of regent Smead, and i went in to discuss an, a, a separate property issue with him something you know quite uh, like bizarre i can't remember specifically what it was, something really unusual had happened and i was just you know I was quite animated i was like can you believe this has happened and he goes he said to me it was like you know the thing is about experience is the older you get the less things surprise you and that's really stuck with me um and you know recently we we were at Magnet Capital we wrote a a loan where right kind of a couple of weeks before completion something came out that right next to the site there was one of the original original owners of the land had been buried there so you're now being saying hold on you've got two weeks of completion and there's a dead body right next to the site essentially Um, and you're thinking I've not seen this before this is really unusual but I was just kind of felt a lot calmer than how i would have reacted maybe five years ago how I would have been 10 years ago and i think maybe for a time of you know just running a business and dealing with so many curveballs consistently you kind of just develop a way to become more phlegmatic about situations you have to because that's the only way where you're going to survive and i think that's just reflective of the advice i was given when i when i first started out
0: yeah i I think that's something (laughs) something i can certainly connect with is um dealing you know (laughs) that The experience means that when you do have kind of things, situations that are, uh, as you say, curveballs, things that surprise you, uh, should surprise you, um, you do tend to respond in in a slightly more um, more controlled way. I I would say you tend to respond rather than react. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I I mean, you know, I think. at the moment, we're we're still dealing with a situation, uh, an interesting situation, with a um, with a very aggressive freeholder um, trying to um, take back possession of a of our of our client's lease, and um, and they're they they're they're so far in the wrong they've that they've, they've they've rode back from their position because they realised that they've they've gone too far, um, and now and now they've put themselves in quite a pickle, um, but when it all kicked off, um, I think we dealt with it quite calmly but in but ironically I think we would have been a lot more um a lot I think we would have been a lot a lot more panicked four or five years ago um I mean again it's like when we we were we were being publicly defamed uh, by a borrower actually four years ago now so just at the st- just at the start of the pandemic and um you know you think all of the stuff that's going on in the pandemic all the stresses you were going through and just as things are starting to get be- a bit better around the start of the summer Things think it's starting to settle down a bit more and this stuff all started kicking off and um you know just remember the anxiety levels that I had and then the same character sort of started piping up again and um, back end of last year out no, for no reason out really, of no, really. <laughs> and um so we just we just picked up the phone to Erwin Mitchell who who dealt with the def- defamation case well de- defamation action previously just said um sent sent the screenshots over and they and they and they dealt with the rest and it was like and then and then didn't really think about it again after that and it was and it's a bit like look you that that experience that the benefit of having that extra bit of experience that bit of um i mean i don't have many gray hairs for someone of my age but you know those few gray hairs or maybe it's the the receding hairs um it 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 does help it does help you do tend to you do tend to, to freak out a little bit less
1: uh, yeah thankfully. I, I think yeah that's that's the stuff that you know no people don't see the, the you know you, you know you're external to magna capital you're if you're a competitor or a broker or outside client you you don't see the kind of the, the sleepless nights tossing and turning cuz you've got you know three different problems that are all driving you mad and i think you know just part of being a, a leader is is learning how to to deal with that um, even stuff like you know I found changing nutrition and getting better, it's like sleep hygiene and you know, general practices were about how to switch off is so, that was so invaluable that, you know, you end up being better at making those decisions. So when you are actually under a b- more pressure, you're just in a, in a headspace where you're going to be invariably make better decisions. You won't always make better decisions, but invariably you put yourself in the best possible position to make a better decision.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, we, we, no, we normally save the we normally save the lifestyle uh, conversation to the to the back end. But seeing seeing as you, you brought it up, uh, I mean, what 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 does your what does your lifestyle look like at the moment in terms of uh, you know in terms of um, you know sort of sleep habits. Exercise habits, dietary habits. What what sort of things are there? Any particular things that you do? And I know, I know, I know some of some of our audience uh, absolutely loves it, and some of it uh, for, for those for those of our audience that don't, um, that they'll they can they can skip ahead. But certainly something that I'm quite passionate about. Uh, certainly something that I'm interested in.
1: I'll I'll keep it brief in that case. So you know, I'll go into too much detail. But you know, i i had a point in my my career where actually, and this creeps up on you when you you actually start putting on a bit of weight. Because uh, you don't think about this stuff, particularly in your 20s, where you, you probably don't need to think about this stuff as much. And, you know, I'm going through, like, the the gene sizes and not really thinking about it. And I was like, uh, I remember, I, you know, I played, I played football every week and I did quite a bad injury, which was on my ankle, which was basically just caused from trying to run around at, like, you know, a weight that I shouldn't be naturally. Um, but there's no, it's not, you know, rocket science, the fact that actually I'm, at that time, I probably wasn't performing anywhere near where I wanted to at work. I mm. was not not firing on where anywhere near I should be um now we're even I'm thinking about stuff like calorie counting and what macros i'm eating i do that six days of the seven a week um i'm much leaner and it's no surprise that i'm firing at a much better rate that i am i want to be a, at work so there's absolutely i would say there's there's a link there um and yeah it's 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 impossible to ignore especially as you start getting a bit older
0: yeah and i, I guess in terms of your exercise regimen you're also doing you you know i, I Obviously, I follow. We follow each other on Instagram. Seeing seeing you in your home gym every day, with your uh, with your with your uh, German Shepherd, uh, you know, get doing your squats and your your bench and all the rest of it. Um, so how, are you what doing two or three times a week that that kind of thing, or is it almost I'm, an everyday I'm, thing?
1: I'm in there four or five times a week as much as I can, basically whatever time I can. Um, yeah, the, the dogs my gym bro, um, which is <laughs> I, I need I need my own space. I can be I can blast my terrible music out. Um, I don't have, you know, to be surrounded by people who have got a whole production crew just because they're doing like a bench press. Like I don't, I don't, you know, commercial gyms really rub me up the wrong way a little bit. So, um, you know, I've got my space in there and that's just a yeah, uh, c- crucial part of my day. Um, a little bit cold in the winter, but, you know, it is what it is and it's, it works really well for me.
0: I, I, I love that. We, um, I was reminiscing with my wife because when, we when we were at Bristol Uni, um, Bristol Uni for the first two of the three years we were there, um, the free weights room was this sort of we we would lovingly refer to it as the gimp chamber at, at, at kind of <laughs> uh, the the the. the Another sort of uh, pulp fiction style dungeon. Um, for those of you, most for most of our audience, they've probably seen the film, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to go into too much detail. But it's yeah, it was definitely the quite Spartan. Uh, you know, definitely. Uh, I mean, obviously, <laughs> we just we've just seen Carl Col Weathers of uh, you know the the great actor and uh, yes, yes, uh, he, 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 he may he rest in peace. You know, it was a bit like his gym in LA where Rocky Rocky goes to train in Rocky Three, so he can beat club of lang it's got that kind of spit and sawdust had that spit and sawdust quality to it and then um uh, and you could only have six people in it at any one time so it was always a big rush to try and get in there at the right time and i absolutely loved it you know smashed out some some really nice weight uh, like pr's in there back in the day and then we moved the, the the gym moved to the to this um brand new facility and it and it and it sort of spoiled it for me because it was you know it was clean it was sanitized the lights were on um but it sort of took away that 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 sort of special feeling that um you know once you start to make things a little bit a bit nicer a bit more comfortable uh sometimes it ruins it if you know what i mean so yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, i i definitely can associate with that and, and actually that's where with the place i train at now um when i'm not at my personal trainer this place called rebel it's it's kind of like that it's it, it's it's basic uh you know basics by by 21st century standards anyway and, and i and i'm here for i wouldn't want anything more more fancy uh, so <laughs> it, i like it, i like that it, it,
1: it reminds me of the i think it's the sugar ray leonard quote don't tell me if it's not it's the one where he says uh you know it's a lot harder to get out of uh, bed to run when you're sleeping in silk pajamas um, Yeah, and yeah right. and you know that's uh, and i think he just you know a little bit you know rough and ready is not a bad thing sometimes
0: no, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. You know, it's nice and warm. Uh, when it's nice and warm inside, I don't fancy getting in that in that cold plunge. Although at the moment it's not particularly cold, but it's still it's still an effort, uh, a mental effort to go in it. And um, and in terms of in terms of um, like alcohol and things like that, do you, is that something you're still, uh, you, you still you still have a drink every now and again, or are you um or is that something you've kind of cut out or cutting back on?
1: No, I, I I leave it to the weekends now, usually, so I avoid, you know, during the week drinking, even if it's social work, just to, to cut that out, just because I know I just won't I'll be groggy the next morning. But I mean, it's really bad because I was walking back from my, my gym garage, you know, just earlier this morning, and uh, I've got a wine society delivery. And it made me think, as I'm walking up to my door, I'm like, it's Monday morning, and there's a big box saying wine society <laughs> on my front door. Um, and I'm thinking maybe they should some sort of offer some sort of discreet packaging uh, <laughs> you know, op, op, op option at checkout rather than you know all my neighbours seeing that I've got my Monday morning wine in. Uh, but no, seriously, I try and you know try and hold back when you can, especially from a you know if I'm I'm counting my calories, it's not great to start chucking red wine in because you won't be able to eat much else yeah
0: it, it used to be the case that you know and some deliveries might you might you might want that in a discrete packaging now it's, yeah uh,
1: now, now it's your alcohol delivery has the wine people thought about this at all
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's the sort of uh, reverse virtue signaling I, I yeah think that's great. Yeah, yeah. that's very funny um I are mean, you just just sort of uh taking a step back from uh from lifestyle and just sort of going back to to uh, going back to your early days within Regents media you, you know at such a young age to be going in and, and doing pub- public speaking at such a young age to be um you know offered offered roles which you know very much are positions of trust can you talk to our can you talk to our younger listeners our, our less experienced listeners about what the key ingredients are to build and develop trust you know at the end of the day we all know trust is earned so how did you know? How did you go about building that trust? What give some examples maybe of, of how of things that you did that enabled you to to take those, you know, to to earn that trust with uh, the powers that be at at, at Regent's Mead?
1: Yeah, um, well, I could I think you know I kind of twist that question a little bit actually. When I first came into the industry, it was two thousand and twelve. So the the the, the short term lending space had been battered and bruised from the the crash of 08 and there were very few. You know, lenders that were active. And one thing it was, or at least I'm, I'm generalizing a bit, but one thing it was to me was a little bit of a, a close circle. Um, it had a distinct lack of young people in the industry. Um, and I don't think, my well, my, my own experience, myself as a young person coming into the industry, coming to meet brokers and wanting to get involved in, in an industry, round tables, what have you, uh, there was almost a kind of sense of, you know, we don't we don't we don't want you know kind of young outsiders coming coming through um i'm generalizing because you know there are many you know more experienced heads that you know w- advised me and and befriended me and and you know you know i met up with you know privately as well and some of whom are still my closest friends in the industry today so but there was you had the sense it was a little bit of a, a you know a closed circle so uh, i found i had to change the way that i spoke with people and that was really a, cr- a crucial thing um it, when I went into, for example, to a sales meeting with a, a broker who, you know, perhaps you know, done several decades of of you know banking and you know new you know, fairness probably new development lending a lot better than I did. I wouldn't sit there trying to sell to them and explain why you want a product. I sit there asking, you know, their advice and their own experience and kind of that. Invariably made people drop their guard a little bit more, rather than you know me going in and saying, "Well, here's why you should be using us for our development product. We're fast and flexible, and blah blah blah." And it's just, uh I think it had to change tact a little bit, and particularly the way I approach certain situations. Um, second to that, I grew a beard because that made me look older, um, and I found that was that you know the fact that I was probably a little bit too fresh faced for it was uh, uh, wasn't great for my my progress. But um, you know. <sighs> I think you know the where we are today is just we've we moved on leaps and bounds you know there are probably you know there are specific training programs for, for young individuals coming into the industry um businesses involved are far more professional um and the way they go about recruitment and and you know developing young talent um and i didn't really have any of that so like you know in, in many respects it was much of a kind of discovery process than anything else um about how how best to go about that um the fact that I was given the, the, the platforms to do so was obviously a, a big advantage. And the fact that, you know, the way I look at when we're recruiting nowadays, the way that the effect that's, that's had on our recruitment and the, the, the way we bring people in is, is huge. So, um, for example, other than when we launched straight away from Regents Mead, and there were a lot of ex-Regents Mead people that came with us, um, every single person we've taken on at Magna Capital has been from outside the industry. We've never recruited a single person from within um that's got you know many different reasons but it means that you know don't bring anyone in with you know necessarily got baggage or they've got a particular way of working or you know if they've worked for a lender that's got you know multiple different products and they're coming into essentially a single product lender maybe uh it's it's not as diverse in terms of our, our product range so you know little things like that where we could bring people in and give them opportunities from other sectors so for example uh we went on recruitment drive at the end of last year we took in two new guys guys on the um sales side um, and they've both done really really well and I had, a, I had an appraisal with one of them recently um a couple of weeks ago and he sat down to so how are you finding it etc and he sat down and said to me i love it and that was like you know music to my ears it goes i love it here and you know the fact that someone has got you know a similar level of a kind of emotional attachment to my business as i do is said to me that you know we must be doing something right yeah, I mean, I think that
0: that speaks highly to the quality of the culture you've you've built within within the organization within within Magnet. What's your? I mean, let's let's just talk about um, let's just talk about the pro the the I suppose the progress from founding in two thousand and eighteen to to where we are today. Um, talk us through you know talk talk us through i guess the the early days you you mentioned you're in a you're in a good position weren't you to that you at least you could you didn't have to start from from a standing start and i think that um there will be there will be people watching and listening um to this conversation who are in businesses that maybe have got um shall we say aging uh, ageing ownership, ageing leadership, that that maybe is, is sort of on the wind down. You know, it's not a not an un, unusual or unique situation. Um, and there's this perception, I think, that businesses have to start from scratch, have to start from, from nothing. Now, in fairness, I, with Avermore, that is kind of how we started, because me, Zaher, Nick, we were outsiders to the industry and we, we started from nothing. But it doesn't mean you have to do that it's generally i would say that's I, I would i'd be less inclined to do that i would i think the way you went about it was very smart because you had the opportunity to to take a, effectively an existing mm-hmm. loan book and you you were able to start you effectively you, you were getting a bit of a running start weren't you uh yep. when you, yeah, when you yeah, got absolutely. started because you you took over a loan book that loan book was generating effectively a revenue mm-hmm. and it meant that If nothing else, you could plan cash flows on the back of on on the back of at least the the income generated from that that loan book. So that even if you didn't originate any new loans for any period of time, you you had some degree of predictability about revenues that we able to generate from that, which probably enabled you to plan and uh, business plan around that. And so taking that into consideration, what did the you know, what did the early, early years of of magnet look like?
1: um yeah you know you're absolutely right we you know we had quite a few advantages in that sense and um i remember one of the our funding partner essentially they you know they're essentially private private equity guys and they so they fund you know businesses across you know every industry you can think of and one of our um you know main contacts who's a you know non-exec in our business you know that he's been doing this a long time and he said in all the years we've been backing businesses this is the most accurate you know business plan you know, that we've seen, because after, you know, year three, year four, we were still on the plan that we, you know, gave them early on. Admittedly, we started to, you know, diverge from that eventually, but, you know, it was almost, it's, it's so hard to, to plan a business where, you know, cash flow is is, is absolutely everything. Um, I think, yeah, when when we went about that, that step, I think that it was more crucial for us to find the right funding partner, because we spoke to a lot of different types of, of funder um, and this is from you know an equity perspective and we just wanted to I didn't want to be a, a funder where you know I could say to you yeah we'll go and do this deal and it could potentially be pulled you know further up the chain because then we're essentially we you know since you're another broker in between um, I wanted to have the ability to say to meet a client and say we could do this on the spot and you know I'm essentially one half of the credit committee so to speak and that Gives us a real competitive advantage, particularly in the, the smaller space where we are, where it's going to be a lot of it is going to be probably more relationship driven than necessarily price or leverage driven, as it often is, I think, when you move further up the food chain. Um, and so, yeah, we met, we met a funding partner and, and um, you know, they've been tremendously supportive of us from day one. But um, I think the fact that we were we were able to launch, you know, with not just a, you know, book place, but, you know, with with our names behind it. Don't get me wrong. we were you know, still you know, extremely cost-conscious. We, we started in a room with no windows, um, and so you know, we wanted to, you know, show that actually we're not going to sit here and suddenly start being a bit silly about it. And I think you know, we've come a long way since then. We've now got lots of windows in our office, but we've also, you know, been able to, to demonstrate that actually the model, the model that we started with, is something that we could develop and not just stick to that. It's something that needed to change a bit. We need we can make it more dynamic. We can tweak certain aspects. And the fact that we could continue to develop it into it and make it, you know, essentially more modern.
0: Yeah, I mean I I didn't realize that Windows were so expensive in, in Elstree, Ashley, but you know, <laughs> th- there you go. <laughs> that,
1: now you know. I remember there was there was one day where I it was 2019 and there was like a freak snowstorm that happened one day in, in like it was a February. And you know, we someone stuck their head out of the office, and they were like, "Well, why is this building? Why is the building empty?" And then you know, we went to the, the hallway, and where you could actually see outside. And uh, lo and behold, everyone had left, and the whole place was covered in snow. We had serious difficulty getting home. But oh, no. um, yeah, look at look at us now with all our windows. You know, yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Sort of, I wanna,
0: almost want to put on a, a Borat voice there, don't you? Uh, don't you? And, uh, you know, <laughs> in the castle. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> no, that, uh, no, that, uh, that's great. So it started out with you and sam um and obviously you mentioned some some of the, your recruiting how many people are you are you now uh, in total
1: so across the whole business there's nine of us um so we started with me sam the the other managing partner in the business paul israel who's finance director um and uh our head of operations deborah lebowitz is uh ex-regent for me so i've i've worked with deborah you know and sam for 12 years now um and we, uh, yeah, our operations team is um, entirely female, and they are an amazing part of our business. Um, and we have ourselves team, which you know, younger younger guys that are you know, a bit newer to the industry. And uh, Robert, you know, what we've done before is recruit from kind of people with ex-property backgrounds, but not lending backgrounds, as I said. So you know, for example, one of the guys we take on is an ex estate agent, so he's came in with a good grounding of property knowledge um and i found that that transition works actually really nicely um so we've done that a couple of times previously and it's it's always worked quite well
0: yeah actually talking to dimitri we we moved um probably the last year and a half to a internal rm external rm you know i suppose or internal bdm external bdm type model and um you know with the idea that for those of you that aren't familiar that an internal. a relationship manager is someone who effectively is on the is in is in the office on the phones external is going out meeting clients and uh, and brokers and re- and re- key relationships etc and the internal will eventually graduates to the external if they, if they do the right thing and we found the the conveyor belt or you know the talent pool for internal RMs within a state agency to be fantastic and um you know certainly that, that uh, it's interesting that you, you've kind of gone down a similar similar model similar approach what's um let, let's talk about your your aspirations well so actually before i do that uh, and you know you mentioned you were originating about 40 million a year um kind of at, at the the peak of regents Mead, and then i think you were kind of um when when the market went full amicus uh then then it, 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 i think those those in the know will know what i'm talking about uh if you know you know if you, know, you know. Um, into 2016 which in fairness um you know even more started end of back end of 2015 so uh you know sort of the 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 sort of the full amicus the you know there was a remember the back of the net uh advert do you remember that 70 percent net yeah and that was uh those were the days yeah um, and and uh, amicus were very aggressive on development lending i guess which would have been uh which would have made which put pressure on i think the rest of the market to try and keep absolutely up, you know, you, you at Regent's Mead were when you were at Regent's Mead you were very um, your approach to credit was very very rigid, uh, which probably served well for the most part would have served you very well. Um, but it, at the same time, there's there's a there's limit to the amount of volume you can put out. So yep. you you said you around then you were doing about forty million a year. What sort of what sort of volumes are you now are you now originating? What sort of star, size of book are you kind of getting to towards? Um, you know in as we speak today
1: yeah i mean look you know the the main thing from our point of view is that we've grown you know we've grown year on year since we've we've launched magnet um so i suppose we're kind of transitioning from what i would describe as a smaller lender to a medium lender i know it's a little bit subjective in terms of what that entails um i think the, the way the way i see it is is that you know the way we you know like to live is so much about you know target setting and forward thinking and you have a business plan and we got to be looking in the future and I've, I've one thing I've kind of changed recently is the, the way I like to think about things and um, I think there's a little bit of a, a lack of focus on you know where we are in the now and what we're achieving at the moment so I do try and you know focus a lot on what we're trying to do today um, or where we are today and what we've achieved and how far we've come um, before, you know, the targets in the future and where we need to be and goals, et cetera. Um, there's so much of, you know, everything you've seen on the internet and on social media, are oh, you hitting your goals and we are you doing this, what are you going to achieve this year? Um, and so I, I try and spend, you know, before thinking about the next step, but, you know, about where we are today. Um, we've done, you know, f- well, this is our sixth year now where we've done, you know, essentially just pushed out one product, which, you know, eventually, yeah, we, we're going to diversify. I think that's, that's inevitable. Um, but what I wanted to get to was a point where we're really damn good at uh, doing at least doing one thing in a market where we're competing against a lot of lenders that are, I suppose, a little bit more jack of all trades. I think we've been able to develop a brand and a, and a model where we're, we're recognised for being really, really good at s- small development lending because it's still quite a poorly served part of the market. Uh, the lenders that we compete against are mainly bridging lenders with a development arm or um, you know smaller family offices. So. I wanted to get to a point where we are uh really well known for quality you know in terms of not just our lending but in terms of being a a quality business um and i think we're getting you know getting to that point now where we're like okay um let's start ramping this up to the next level so that will involve your other products you know albeit bridging etc maybe you know devx that sort of thing um i think that's probably just around the corner for us and you know where we're gonna when we're gonna take this next but um, because we've been so focused on getting, you know, excellent development finance lending, um, we've not really had much focus on necessarily trying to be, you know, two, three hundred million pound loan books. I don't think that's that's type of business I wanna wanna run. The, the other side of that is that you know, one of the one of the big challenges, and I'm sure you you, you went through this at Avermore is how to scale and keep quality control um at the same time because as soon as you you start scaling and you start throwing more people into the pot and you become more and more removed from the situations and the decision making um it's obviously you know more and more difficult to make sure that that same quality that's made us so good for the last few years is is kept and that you know that essence and that culture within the office is 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 kept there and that's a a real you know challenge going forward
0: yeah that's um that point you just made there it's the loss of, you know, I suppose that that dilution of quality as you as you increase the the headcount, increase the team, um, you know, having, you know, having increased, having gone from a team of of start a founding team of three to, you know, what, 35 individuals uh, at our peak in 2022, scaled it back to sort of high 20s now. um, It's, yeah, I, I think when you when you grow that quickly, and particularly as we went from, actually, we went from 15 or 16 to mid thirties in between the middle of 2020 and the middle of 2022. so a huge hiring spree. And certainly there's, you you know, and we've seen quite a lot of staff turnover within the business over the last probably 18 to 24 months. Um, so a loss of, I suppose that a, a dilution or a loss of quality is always a, is always a concern. I think that, um, you know, I, I ask about I ask about volumes because I think that's something that people people are interested in but I also think that sometimes volume can be a vanity metric I mean there's certainly people who do huge volumes in bridging especially regulated bridging where the loans on the book for three months the margin is next there's to the margin yeah there's no margin and there's yep. no it's you know it's high, it's highly regulated so the cost of acquisition is huge um, the operational cost is enormous um, and um, you know and the, the loans aren't on the book for long and they're not and they're not and they're not able to make any fees or proc uh out of it either um and it's not like they can make huge amounts of money on the default interest for the loans go into default as well um because again because of the regulated nature of the, of the loans it, the, there's there's only so much that the lenders can do so you know we, we have you, you have to you have to respect the that actually what's important sometimes what's important is is, is running and operating a quality business and so um whilst growing lending volumes for us is a, is is a priority and always always has been actually what are we focusing on this year uh, at, you know as a board and what's what's Dimitri and, and his team focusing on it, you know it, it's client you know it's client outcomes it's levels of service um you know that's levels of service both for 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 brokers borrowers um and also uh, and also our, our funding partners as well and making sure that we continue to have zero losses and so I, I i think that kind of that mindset very much chimes with where you're at as well which is you you want to maintain that and i think that maybe we lost we lost a little bit of our our, our sense a, a, lost a, a bit of our sense of why our why as we grew very fast uh in terms of headcount and so now distilling that down into a a core team that really really has is really brought into the vision um and what what we as a business are about uh, will, will help us, I think, propel us for the next phase. Um, and it sounds to me like you, you've, you, you've got the right idea there, but something that I, a question I wanted to ask you though, which is that, how do you, how, how are you making sure as the CEO of the business that you're working on the business rather than in the business? Because when you were talking about being credit committee or one of two, um, it feels to me like you're having to probably do, do a lot of the business yourself um and I think we've had this conversation privately
1: yeah. how how
0: what's your plan to you know to effectively work on the business rather than in the business to enable the business to grow and scale in the way that you want it to
1: yeah i you, you you've hit the nail on the head there I think you know that that is the challenge for us as in terms of the next step is how do you know how does magnet capital become you know stays just magnet capital and not you know sam and ashley and and everyone else who's who's involved so i think business needs to be bigger than the individuals absolutely so you know there there are some moments where you know i think you you have to kind of you know learn this on the hop a little bit in terms of how to not just relinquish control but how to be comfortable with those around you if you could step into into you know our shoes in the same way that i was allowed to in my early career and and allow that for those functions to happen which you know fairness we've already Started to allow that to happen, particularly with, you know, key client meetings where we we, we have a, a policy of meeting every single person we lend to either face to face or or on a, a Teams call. And, you know, we've started to allow that to happen in a, in a slightly, you know, different process. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's absolutely a challenge for us going forward. And I think you know the main thing that we're we trying to implement is is you know getting people to step up and and actually take this on, but a big part of that is is making sure people are trained properly and so if we've got new individuals coming to the business um we wanna we want to give them every opportunity to grow I think a lot of the way that we're doing that was, was was shaped by you know the way that you know we were trained in the first place, so you know particularly you know my story and 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 my experiences is is um something that i like to implement in terms of our business as well
0: so again you giving giving people that 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 layer of trust that opportunity to excuse me um that opportunity to to give their opinions and 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 basically you know show their own forms of leadership and um take you know taking the bull by the horns from an early stage is that is is that kind of where you're where yeah you're yeah hands?
1: for example we had um you know one of the one of the the guys that joined us at the end of last year, there was uh, an opportunity where we had part of an advertising package to write a you know double page interview for for a trade trade magazine, and he'd only been here for like you know, I think three weeks. But I was just like you know you really enjoyed the way it started. It's a great name getting your, your name out there. Go ahead and write it, and you know and he went and did it. And he think you know again it was just probably not maybe probably could have done with him a little bit more experience in terms of answering questions related to development funding. But um, again, he's, he's this one way of learning is by you know throwing him into the fire a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, I always thought that there was a long time when I was, um, you know, it was red penning, redlining uh, markups of uh, of our press releases and 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 our marketing materials. And then one day I just turned around to, to the person running the marketing and I said, no, I think I said, this is ridiculous. You know, like what's going to happen? What's what is what is going to happen? What's the worst thing that's going to happen to this business? if if you put out a press release that looks like that, that looks like you've you've initially drafted it yeah um, you know it, it's not going to be a disaster it doesn't need it doesn't need me to write the perfect press release um for you you know every single time because that's just acting as an inhibitor for for that that person's personal growth but also um the business's growth because i'm spending if i if i the, the time i'm spending re- reading a press release that's time I'm not spending helping to grow the sales volumes, helping to grow, uh, helping to build the funding relationships, um, you know, to, you know, fill in the blank. Um, do you know what I mean? So it, well, they're, they're, it's, they're, I think that's just, a, a really good example.
1: Yeah, then I think then you're just being a professional editor rather than a professional development lender. And so that's not really what, what you wanted to be doing at the time.
0: Well, look, my, my um, there, there there were times, actually, where I, I spent... <laughs> uh there's there's not there's no there's no role really I haven't done in April to be fair but that, that's you know one day it's HR one day uh, I would I would routinely spend my Sunday afternoons reconciling uh reconciling bank entries in zero um you know is I I think I think my I think my family might have liked to spend that time with me rather than uh, me spending that time with zero do you know to I mean? so um So I I think and Saturday mornings were Saturday mornings. I'd spend two or three hours, you know, catching up on correspondence from the week. So, you know, fundamentally, um, fundamentally, there was using a bookkeeper was probably the best 20 or 30,000 pounds a year that I could have spent because of the time that it freed up for me as a consequence of that. So So there's so many examples of it um that that you can you can look to and i think
1: think that's you know i think all those habits that you just do because that's what you do when you start a business is stuff you don't even notice that you shouldn't be doing that even stuff like you know sending emails on holiday like you know the last holiday i went on in december was the first one that i hadn't didn't bring my laptop with because it's just it's just nonsense it's a terrible habit i you know got really far into it without you know touching my emails um, stuff like sending emails in, in the evening you know there's there's a sense where you just need to not be doing things and i think part of running a business is recognizing that as well and you want to you know just, i guess you want to be, be the point where you no longer consider yourself a startup and you have to just let these functions happen by themselves but you also don't want to let go because it's your baby well, I,
0: I was actually looking through some old photos and videos on my phone on my phone yesterday and um and i stumbled on a on some videos where we went to um, a, a lake, a lake resort um, in the south of the Czech Republic uh, in 2018, and I and I remember it distinctly because it was probably the first time um, from when we founded Avonmore where I where I actually enjoy was able to enjoy a holiday and didn't look I didn't look at I wasn't looking at emails every five minutes or wasn't picking the phone up every five minutes and trying to do something on on or in the business. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm, you're a better man than me, because I still take the laptop with me on holiday, wherever, wherever I go. It, it 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 doesn't get used as much. I don't spend as much time using it, but um, I still probably will check emails a couple of times a day. And when we went to Greece in the summer, I, I would participate in the old Teams call. Um and you, it sounds it sounds to me like that's something you could probably you're, you're you're a bit better able to to leave alone so um in in that respect uh you, you may be a better man than me um so in some ways you're 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 able to rely on the team your team even more so than than those of us uh, those of us in, the ownership in our business you know so maybe, was maybe it, on the it, right it, track
1: yeah there was a couple of experiences where you know whatever i'd, I'd be away on holiday and the couple of you know Concerns have happened where there's an issue on a site, or this has happened, or someone's kicked off. And the problem is, when you close your laptop, it's still with you at that point. And now I'm on holiday, and I'm hacked off about something. So it's kind of like that chain reaction. And now, like now, I'm spending vast amounts of money at dinner on holiday. You know, to the point where actually that chain reaction shouldn't be happening. Um, so yeah, I think look, the business like you know performs absolutely fine without me. It doesn't need my input every two seconds, whether I like to believe that or not. Um, so yeah I think that was a, a, a nice step and I'm gonna try and do my next holiday with zero emails so that's the challenge
0: right, I'm gonna try I'm gonna try and copy that because actually we just had a we had a, a skiing holiday uh back end of uh back end of last year and early part of this year and um yeah there was there was a, a one one of, one of those days was ruined effectively ruined by by an email um
1: there you go and,
0: and which ironically I I probably overreacted to as well in terms of my, my own emotional state as well. It, it, yeah. So it was almost like a double whammy. It's like, I look back and I was like, oh, did I really need to get, did I really need to get so worked up about that? <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, and so I'm just like, oh, you know, you know. Especially think, when you, you when, know
1: got the fresh air of the mountains between you as well and you're still getting, you know, wound up by business.
0: Oh, dude, it was just like, it, you, know, it was, you know, it was, you know, it was, you know, it was just, it was, a, it was otherwise, it, it was what well, was otherwise a really fantastic holiday. And I was just like, oh God, you know, it's like, it was just to, to get, to get upset about it and i'm like, oh, i'm just i'm actually just i'm almost i'm getting annoyed about my about my reaction <laughs> to it rather than uh, about this rather than the situation um just just t- touching on growth and and where where the business is going you know I, i've got a, a long-standing view that w- we're going to increasingly see a sort of bifurcation of of lenders in the 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 bridging and development space, a small, smaller end, of, uh, smaller bridging and development space, particularly. Um, like yourselves, we, you know, we do, we do lend to sort of smaller, uh, smaller scale developers Um, you know, product offering obviously is uh, not identical, but, um, but we certainly operate within that space. Um, my view is that the market is going to the, the 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 lending space the specialist lending space is either going to go to a to one where people are doing 200 250 million pounds of of lending a year or it's going to be 20 or 30 million pounds of of business um because i think that ultimately the size and scale of the larger lenders will enable them to do larger uh, well with sorry not larger they'll they will have the pricing power the, the, the pricing power and the variety of funding sources to enable them to go up the risk curve um, or, and, and otherwise leaving. Niche specialists to do to kind of pick up the scraps um, because the larger guys will effectively have hoovered up so much of the market um, how, how what's your view of that and, and where do you see Magnet fitting into that into that equation?
1: yeah uh, look uh, um every time i've kind of <clears throat> excuse me every time i've kind of made a, a prediction about where the market might go in the 18 months there's you know something completely left field happens like you know covid or you know s- supply chain or you know building cost materials shooting up or something like that where uh say you know <clears throat> we try to plan for one thing and you know something else happens so <clears throat> yeah you you may be well be right but i think we we still have the 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 bones of 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 regis mead you know the way we operate so regis mead was particularly great at riding out downturns in the market um as they showed they did on several occasions so i think one thing we haven't seen for a while is is you know a, a major economic event like an 08 style event which you know the longer that we kind of go without experiencing one is probably means that the longer it the, the sooner it may may or may not happen. Uh, but you know, I think we're in a position where because we're not particularly garish in terms of our loan to values, we you know we run a business that leverages massively on, on relationships and you know being you know nimble and dynamic. And I think there's always going to be space for, for lenders that that do that. Um, and I think you know there's there's always going to be a demand there for lenders that can do that. And you know, so many experiences that I've had with with, with our clients who have borrowed from other lenders. When they've come to us with a little bit of a, you know, little bit of skepticism or reticence because uh, they think, oh, you know, we're the borrower, or you're the lender, where actually, you know, we sit down, have a meeting and say, actually, we're, you know, we're on the same side of the table with you. Okay. We're heavily investing in your business. We want to know everything about you as part of that, but we want to help you. And there's been so many occasions um, that we don't necessarily publicize where I think other lenders would have treated the situation differently, where actually, we probably valued. Either A, doing the right thing or B, the relationship more. So we could have, you know, tried to step in or, you know, put in a receiver or what have you, where we've actually chosen to, you know, whether it's, you know, grant an extension or, you know, give them some grace on on their interest uh, that they need to pay or or, or what have you. Um, They're sometimes doing something where we actually probably, you know, not necessarily best for our bottom line, but best for a longer term view um that's the way we like to think and operate and so i think there's always going to be demand for that um i remember i was on site uh in the last year in a place called Winchelsea, um and there's uh, a guy we're lending to who's doing a bar conversion down there and he's he's old school you know he's in his 60s he's been doing this for decades he's borrowed from lots of different lenders and i remember he was talking to me around the site we were talking and he kind of stops mid-sentence and he goes oh this is just like the good old days and uh you know that sense of you know that where we're old-fashioned in a good way, and the fact that that kind of you know comes to the, you know that people can experience that for themselves. It's quite you know a visceral experience in borrowing money from us. Um, I think that's just going to put us in, in really good stead over the years to come.
0: Uh, listen, I I, I I completely agree with your approach, um, and I completely understand why you've got great customer satisfaction because your ability to get on site and see clients, particularly as the as you know, co-owner of the business, co-founder of the business, that's going to, you know, that's going to engender you so well with your, with your clients and with brokers and and everyone that you deal with. I guess, I guess the challenge is that you don't have 40 Ashleys and Sams, you've got, you know, you are ultimately just, you're, you're just a couple of, you are a couple of individuals within a wider team. And, and so that's where I, I suppose that's where I say the, the scale, that's where I think the scaling point comes. I think that, that, the the smaller end of the scale if you're if you as a, if if one as a business, as an entrepreneur is content to stay in that in the sort of smaller end of the of the lending scale i think that i think you maintaining that level of service quality um will continue to, to serve you really well and you'll be able to maintain that size of business i think though that it's that uh, scaling that beyond that uh, that uh, scaling a business beyond that style becomes increasingly challenging unless you can either do much larger tickets in terms of uh, of, of individual loans um, but you're certainly not going to be able to do the same size of loans but more often you know like mm. three times off them because mm. you're just not going to be able to be in that many places at once. Mm.
1: No you're absolutely right and that is that like, you know that's one of the challenges that we've got ahead of us is is you know so as I said earlier it's, it's scaling whilst maintaining that that quality yeah. because I don't you know I don't want to scale uh, with a, a product that's just not reflective of what we are yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a- absolutely a challenge that that, that we're you know, discussing internally as we well, not as we speak at the moment. Sure.
0: Yeah. It, it, yeah. I think. I, look, knowing you, you'll probably find the you'll find the right balance. Um, yeah. you you're, You seem to be someone who's keen to who who wants to grow, but not necessarily for growth's sake. So you know you, you'll you'll find the right way to do it, and 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 you know and and make it uh, make it a, a great success as you always do.
1: Michael, um, I'm 30 I'm 34 I'm not in any rush that's for sure. No. No
0: well I think, and you know and you clearly have the a, 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 which you know which we've always had as well is that long-term long-term greedy approach. So, you know, it there've been we for even with us as well, you know, there've been plenty of times where we've taken you know, we have we've, we've taken a hit in the short term financially uh where we could have taken more economics out of the situation uh and so that in the longer term we could, uh, we could benefit from it. Uh, you know, I, I suppose that burnishing the reputation or, or building relationship with some, with, with people, uh, knowing that, of course, no good deed goes unpunished. And you know, sometimes you do, sometimes you do people favors and you don't get anything returned. Absolutely, that's that's not how. But, but you know that should that should be in the minority. In the, the majority of cases, you know the, um, you know karma cal- karma is a karma karma is real. Believe it or not yeah um, yeah yeah i think you're right um okay so just just looking sort of uh go on the wind down now um just want to learn just just, just want to talk about um a few more personal things obviously we talked about the health and lifestyle stuff so we've kind of covered that that part of the show off already um but i wanted to talk about people that you're people that have provided you with motivation inspiration in your life you know people that you you know that 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 matter to you, whether that's uh, whether that's your parents, whether that's uh, people that have provided you with a you know with with important mentorship and guidance as a younger person. <laughs> are, are there any particular people that you would you'd like to kind of acknowledge or recognise today?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I suppose I come from a family where we've you know it's, we've always been quite entrepreneurial. So um, my grandfather came here on on the Kinder Transport um, and started quite a a substantial manufacturing business throughout his life um i'm one of uh four four kids where all three of my siblings run their own business of differing sizes in completely differing industries um and i think you know we've just always had that in our family um my dad ran family business for a long time again in the manufacturing sector um so yeah you know there's amount of times where i've had you know it's a real you know challenge or a headache happen at work and you know i'll pick up the phone to my dad or one of my brothers or what have you and say you know let me throw this at you and then you're you're speaking to someone who comes from a you know not operating in finance or property or anything like that they're operating in a completely different world and lo and behold they'll probably have quite a useful way of thinking because it's it's different to everyone you know immediately around you um and that's been really helpful over the years just being able to have have that position there um i've even ran friends before when i've had something you know quite unusual happen at work or you know there's a challenge you know staff or what have you you know I've, I've, I've had situations where i've rang up one of my friends and said you know this has happened what do you think of this um you'll never be able to you know do this all on your own so the fact that you know to have that kind of network behind you know around you um is absolutely essential um and you know firstly it's the sense that you're not necessarily burdening you know people with you know well all, all constantly ringing them with this but i think actually people quite appreciate it when you, you pick up the phone um and you're able to have you know quite an honest chat about you know whatever scenario it may be um i won't always won't always take their advice but you know i'm i'm always you know try and be as open as possible to to, to different suggestions uh, i'm um...
0: I, I took note. Obviously, your your grandfather coming in on the on a Kinder transport uh, as part of the Kinder transport. Have you have you have you uh, have you watched the uh, the movie One Life yet?
1: Uh, no, about, no uh, I haven't. About no, I, it's it's on my it's on my list. It's absolutely yeah. on my list. I've been trying it, to get it, around to watching it.
0: Must be quite. Um, I imagine it would be quite surreal for you to watch, uh, knowing that you know someone you know someone you're descended from. It's their uh, you know that's um you know if, if it wasn't for him you you might not be you you might not be here so that's the yeah there's, there's probably that.
1: we have a we have a picture that oh, someone in my family found in a newspaper years ago and it's my grandfather's in the background getting on the kinder transport and he's there with his like little bag and jacket um so we've got that we've got that printed that's a really cool memory to have
0: yeah well that's um so it's, it's pretty amazing to have such a connection with you know such a historical suppose such a historical event um and probably puts the current um you know the current troubles uh and current attitudes uh out into into some context um and then i suppose the the the, the next question I, I wanted to to ask is what you know if you were to give your younger self you know your sort of 17 18 year old self or or, or you can pick an age um some some positive self-talk um what would you say to yourself and why what what guidance would you would you give yourself uh your, your younger self
1: um i just think you know i've always had a, uh, an attitude of of just you know i've never really had any sort of self-doubt along the way um and i think that just you know i'd advise myself never to lose that because it's so important even from when it you know came the times that I said yes to doing public speaking or yes to writing an article or yes to taking on something that I completely had no clue about but just said yes to it anyway um, and then when we you know when we watched Magnet Capital I mean I you know personally me along with Sam and, and other people personally committed you know a lot of money into the business from day one and but I never for a second crossed my mind that you know it wouldn't work you know and I never even entertained that idea um, and I think just think having I think you know, d- you know doubting yourself and looking at the the downside is a very new, very human reaction to have. And I've just you know somehow managed a way to just have you know almost call it blind faith, but absolutely you know unhinged belief in in what I could do, um, what I can achieve. And, you know it's like you asked before about you know scaling up Magnet capital. The way I see Magnet capital today, we're still embryonic. We're still at the, the beginning stages of our journey, um, and you know we're. You know just scratching the surface of where you know we want to go and what i want to achieve so um yeah if i you know would speak to my younger self i'd say keep keep being you know having ridiculous you know belief in yourself because that was as well as maybe causing a few problems it will open a hell of a lot of doors for you
0: yeah well, well quite well. Uh, it's obviously serving you serving you well um as things stand um now uh, I think this will be the last question. But um, as, as many of our, our audience know, um, I'm heavily involved in a charity called uh, uh, the Props Lunch or charity event called the, the Props Lunch and Awards. And um, this year it will be at the Grosvenor House Hotel uh, on the 27th of June, uh, starting at 11 a.m. And if you want to uh, if you want to get tickets, um, get, get in touch with me uh, or go to the Variety website and. Um, Ashley you're, you you worked for a uh, you, you you worked for a man at Regent's Mead who obviously was very heavily involved in uh I suppose in philanthropy um has has any of that uh philanthropy philanthropic uh, endeavors is that something that you have continued on in in within Magna is there, are there any particular causes or uh, or or charities that you're you that you're close to that you care about
1: Yeah I've, I've been heavily involved with a, a charity called Norwood um for quite a few years now um they have uh Annual, annual dinner they have property dinners they have you know young young norwood as well which i've been involved in um amazing charity they do some brilliant work in the in the social care sector um and um yeah i, I try and whatever free time i get is to to be as involved as i can
0: uh, it's uh, norwood is for, for those that that aren't aren't familiar it's actually quite a, a well-known and very highly respected um a charity, uh, a charity that. Um, what sort of uh, what is it? Is it children that Norwood helps, or is it? Is yeah, it no, people any, of all ages?
1: anyone, people of all ages. Um, you know, people who need care um, have. You know, whether they've got you know severe illnesses that, that hold them back in life, they're you know able to fight housing for them or you know different schemes. So I think yeah, they're they're. Uh, I suppose it's uh, a care sort of charity in that sense.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's obviously it's a, it's a great cause, and uh, actually the. Uh, big supporters of Norwood uh which are the Zakai brothers uh, Solon and Zakai who uh, who are the founders of Topland group uh they're actually being recognized with the lifetime achievement award at this year's props um so it's uh, actually uh, quite awesome. a nice quite a nice um quite nice to see a, an overlap of of two uh, of two charities that that uh, or two two charity events that don't normally sort of have any interactions together um it, it's quite nice that we can perhaps draw some of the uh some of the audience from norwood uh to the props uh we we'll, we should have it, hopefully uh about 1200 people uh in the room in june so and hopefully hopefully ashley uh we'll, we'll we'll see you there as well and there's a i'm sure there's a nomination for uh young property personality of the year uh um coming your way or someone will be making a, a nomination on your behalf very soon yeah fingers um, crossed Ashley, i think we're i think we're about done and thank you for your time it's been uh really enjoyable always like thanks talking for to on. you always, uh yeah, always like spending time with you and yeah. um it look many of our audience will, will will likely want to get in touch with you and, and maybe get in t- ask you to to do some public speaking for them who knows uh sounds like you're pretty good at it um but otherwise, and certainly from today's uh, from from today's discussion, uh, that's certainly been my experience. But um, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what are the what are the best ways for for people to get in touch? Is it, is it LinkedIn? Is it is it is it Instagram? Is it through company website? Feel free to for, to let let people know the best way that you you might them to reach reach out. To
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm per- personally on LinkedIn, um, Ashley Ilson, and also on Twitter, uh, which I use uh, less frequently. Um, also, our, our company website, MagnetCapital.co.uk um you can find me on, across all of those platforms and yeah, uh, yeah just want to say thank you you know for having me on really enjoy the chat uh, very refreshing some good ideas shared as well so i really appreciate it
0: well look the uh, people sometimes question the logic as to why i'd have people from quote unquote competing businesses but specialist finance market is still relatively nascent, still relatively small and for me it's all about i want to promote and build up all of all of us within the sector because the bigger the sector gets um you know the better quality people we get coming into the sector and the better quality um and better lower cost of capital that we also get so you know we all benefit you know and nice. it, for me it's a it's, it's a great way of it's, it's a great way of giving back and trying to Help all of us, uh, all of us in the industry, uh, not just uh, not just trying to be a promotional vehicle for me and, uh, and me and Avonmore So, um, I've really appreciated having you on. Um, you know, you're, you're a remarkable guy, Ashley, and I think you uh, you we're, we're we're excited to see where 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 things take you going forwards. Um, For our our audience, for our listeners and our viewers uh, across uh, Spotify, Apple, YouTube and wherever else you might be uh, getting this, uh, thank you very much for for your time. Uh, I've been Michael Dean. Uh, As I said before, if you haven't blocked me or muted me yet, uh on uh, on various social medias i am at property underscore funder um if you are uh, if you are however inclined to get in touch with me uh please reach out uh, across the various platforms and i look forward to receiving your feedback and tell me what you liked and uh otherwise what we could do better uh on the podcast but for now thanks everyone appreciate all your time ashley uh, you've been a great guest and uh wishing you all the best
1: thank you thanks all lot. right